How you guys doing? Happy New Year to you. Hope you had a great Christmas. Uh, my family and I got to enjoy Christmas with my parents in the great city of Garden City, Kansas. Oh, you haven't heard of it, really? Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, so we had a good time there and uh, had a good time spending time with Amy's family this week as well. And uh, so the new year is uh, one of those times of years that really brings uh, kind of a mixed feelings, right? Uh, on, on one side, there's this excitement as we reflect on the year that has just passed and as we, as we look forward to uh, what the new year is going to bring. And, and uh, just from the perspective of this church, I am so excited about what God is going to do in 2011. He did some phenomenal things in the life of this church in 2010, and I believe that those were just a, a shadow, uh, the first evidence of what he's desiring to do in the life of this church in 2011. So uh, the new year, on one hand, carries this really kind of, uh, of this excitement, this, this feeling of new beginning and new goals, right? Uh, but the other side of that is it can also be a, a time that as we reflect, that we, we, we may discover that we're not exactly where we are where we want to be. And uh, sometimes we have that kind of post-holiday slump, right? And uh, I, I know that probably some of you in this room, uh, New Year's Day is, is kind of a ho-hum day. And you're just like, well, another year, you know? And, and uh, just kind of looking back and saying, I'm not really exactly where I want to be in life, and I'm not exactly where I want to be in my relationship with the Lord. And, and, and so we have this, this thing that we do as a culture, which we, is we, that we set these New Year's resolutions, right? And a lot of times those resolutions, those goals are, are born out of this, this reflection of, I'm not quite where I want to be. And, and so we set goals that Include things like um, we want to really take more time to myself, right? Some of you feel like that that uh, your your schedule is totally dictated by other people, and so your new New Year's resolution is I'm going to get a handle on my schedule, and, and I'm going to be able to spend some time uh, by myself and with the Lord, and have some time by my, to myself. Uh, some of you, uh, if you're like me, uh, you want to read more books, right? Uh, John Maxwell says that leaders are readers, right? Who's John Maxwell, right? <laughs> and so I want to, as a leader, I always am always on my goal list is to read more books. And so some of you may have that goal of, of reading more. And uh, you know that, let me tell you a little bit about my Christmas. You know that you're old or you're boring, one of the two, and I'm probably both. But you know that you're old and boring when you're playing with your Christmas gifts consists of about reading a thousand pages, right? I got like five or six books for Christmas and that was it, right? And so it's like, I'm going to go play with my Christmas presents. I'm going to read a thousand pages, right? So you, you're, I'm either boring or old or both. I'm not sure which. So, um, so some of you want to read more. Uh, some of you want to lose weight, right? That's a popular one around the new year. We kind of look at ourselves and we look in the mirror and we say, how did I get here? You know? And so we want to, uh, we want to lose some weight. Um, and and uh, I don't know if um, I, I kept... Uh, an inactive gym membership all year long. So I'm pretty sure I met last year's resolution, right? Does keeping the gym membership active count as, as, you know, as making the resolution? If you low expectations equals greater success, just remember that as you're doing your resolutions, okay? Low expectation. If I just keep the membership open so that I have a possibility of going to the gym, it's been a great year, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes we want to get out of debt. There's financial things, and we want to make a budget and those, those kinds of, uh, of goals. Uh, but a lot of times what happens is we look at our spiritual lives, right? And we look at our life with, with God, and we say, 
man, this year, this year is the, the year that I really want to pray more. And, and this year is, is really the year that I want to read Scripture more. And when we start our, our, our uh, read through the Bible in a year plan, you know, we're all fresh. Some of you are still fresh with that plan two days in. Uh, and we say, man, I want to I serve more. And a lot of times our spiritual goals are, are kind of focused around this, this idea of, of this kind of guilt of I'm not doing this enough. And so if I just did this more, my life with, with God would be better. Um, and, and having that in mind, and, and a lot of times that's just even from my own experience of what has happened in my new year. I set spiritual goals of things that I want to do more often or things that I want to do a little better. Uh, and, and so as I kind of came to planning for this, this new year, I wanted the first two series to be series that can not produce guilt in your life of you, you should do this more and you're not. But rather, I wanted these first two series uh, of the new year to give us some biblical perspective that will help empower you towards reaching some of those uh, spiritual goals. Because a lot of times, some of you are saying, I want to pray more and I want to do this more. But a lot of times, it's also, I want to serve more. I want to give more. And so for the next two weeks, we're doing this series called Unleash. And, and, and the whole idea of, of this first two-week series is to enable us to give us, uh, is to give us some biblical perspective on giving and unleashing generosity in our lives, right? Because some of you have made a goal that says, man, I, I want to give more, uh, and I want to be able to give like my heart says I want to give, but you're just not sure how to get there, and you don't have any biblical perspective to get there. And so I want to just help equip you. I want to promise you uh, that as we talk about unleashing generosity, this is not a time for me to uh, lay guilt on you so that we'll, it will spring you into action for about six weeks, and then, and then nothing happens, right? And then no long-term change has actually happened. That is not my intent. That is not my goal at all. My goal during this series about unleashing generosity is to give us some biblical perspective so that it will empower you to help become the person that that I believe God wants you to be and the person that you want to be. So that's where we're going to start for the next two weeks. I'm I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the next two weeks. Uh, In three weeks, the third week of January, we're going to do this series called New Through 30. And we're going to be challenging all of you and collectively as a community, we're going to be reading the entire New Testament through in 30 days. Yes, it's going to be a Bible reading blitz. Now, is the point is the point to uh, make you feel guilty if you don't keep up with your Bible blitzing reading plan? Of course not. But the idea is, is that as we create a discipline of reading scripture, and then it will become more of a habitual thing, because some of you, you've decided in 2011, I want to hear the voice of God, but you're cracking your Bible once a month. And then you're saying, why don't I hear from God? Right? And so now if we're careful, I'm going to, if I'm not careful, I'm going to skip the whole two weeks. I'm going to start preaching about this. But uh, the whole idea behind that this series is to give you a springboard by which you can really begin to, to dig into scripture. And so we're going to just start with a Bible reading blitz. And uh, we're going to give you some grace days in there and, and give you a Bible reading schedule. And uh, I'm going to be preaching through the New Testament in five weeks. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I encourage you to participate with us. So that's kind of where we're headed in the new year. You guys excited? about what God is going to do in 2011? 
Yeah, I am excited as well. So today, uh, what I want to do is I want to start with uh, talking about how do we begin generosity? How do we start the habit of generosity uh, and, and this kind of life change in our lives? So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, I want to, uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10, and we're going to skip down to verse 17 and read through 19. So 6 through 10 and 17 through 19. Uh, so that's the, that's the plan here this morning. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you can follow along as well if you don't have uh, your Bible with you. So it says this, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, And we will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. um, And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. And they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now skip down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but instead to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I want to set the stage for you just a little bit because uh, this passage may seem like it's coming out of nowhere. And so this, this is in First Timothy. So the first question is, who is Timothy? Timothy is, is the Apostle Paul's protege. He's young, he's learning the ropes of ministry, and he's using Paul, or Paul is his mentor. And so Timothy and Paul are in this kind of this mentor-mentoree relationship, and, and it, Paul is essentially beginning to teach Timothy what, the, what it's like to speak truth into people's lives as, as a person in the ministry. And Timothy is, is uh, ministering in the city of Ephesus, which is the same city to which Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians, right? The Ephesians in Ephesus, and this is where Timothy is doing. And what's happening in Ephesus is there's all kinds of false doctrines going around. And so Paul is specifically in this letter uh, writing a letter to Timothy saying, here's how to address all of the false doctrines that are going around in the city of Ephesus. And in this section, in chapter 6, he specifically begins to address this, this exploitation of the gospel. In other words, there are some people in Ephesus that are using godliness as a means to financial gain. And so they're saying, if I, if I can use the gospel of Jesus Christ and use it to my own advantage and my own financial benefit, and Timothy and, and Paul is saying, saying, this cannot be. And he's addressing Timothy, and he's saying, here's how you deal with this kind of mindset and this kind of attitude that's going on in Ephesus. Does that make sense? That's kind of the the historical background of this letter and in this chapter. And so what Paul says is he says to Timothy, he says, tell them this message. And I think it's helpful for all of us. He says, say to them that godliness with contentment is of great gain. Godliness with contentment. 
is of phenomenal gain in your life. Because apparently there's not only this group of people that are seeking to exploit the gospel for their own financial gain, but there's also this belief in Ephesus, and this sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? That my happiness and that my joy is tied to the accumulation of stuff. Right? And so this, uh, this sounds familiar coming out of Christmas, right? That if, if, I, if I just had that thing, I would be happy. If I just could get this, this object, then my life would be so much better. And what Paul is essentially saying is that no, 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 no. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. And if we have food to eat and we have clothes on our back, then he says as a proclamation, that will be enough for us. That we, in other words, it's really this kind of dis, beginning to distinguish what do I need and what do I want. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not mad at the gifts that you got at Christmas, and I got some nice, nice gifts as well, but it's a matter of perspective, according to what Paul says, is that the things that we got, we, don't, it, we, we need to distinguish between a need and a want. What do we need and what do we want? So godliness with contentment is of great gain. And so the, the Bible simply says that this, this, your, that this godliness, this passionate, growing, and active relationship with Jesus Christ, with contentment, this way of saying I am satisfied with what I have and what God has provided me with and the way that he's watched over me and hemmed me in and protected me. He says if we take this relationship with Jesus and this attitude of contentment, then our life will equal into and will live into this great gain that we will have found a perspective that is not typical for the culture in which they lived or in which we live. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. Now this of course does not just have to do with money, right? Because a lot of times as we reflect back on the year and our, our discontentment really has nothing to do with the budget. Sometimes it has to do with other things. And what Paul is saying is that godliness with contentment is of great gain. That if we will learn to see the value in the season in which we find ourselves, we will find ourselves with great gain. That, that we don't have to... Now that doesn't say that we can't, that doesn't mean that we can't set goals. That doesn't mean that we can't strive to kind of come out of this season into the place that we feel like that we want to be or where we feel like God is leading us. But it's this way of saying that I am content where I am right now because I believe that God has a a, a purpose in this season. And instead of saying, why are you doing this? I can say, what do you have for me in this? Right? Godliness with contentment is of great gain, Paul says to Timothy. And Timothy says to the Ephesians, right? This is powerful, powerful stuff, particularly at the beginning of the new year. So it's not necessarily tied to money, but it also, but that's specifically what Paul is talking about here, is this kind of money. And so he says, if money is your chief pursuit, it's going to lead you into all kinds of evil. Now notice that it doesn't say that the, the love of money is the root of all evil, Right? It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so there are all kinds, if money is the chief pursuit in our life, if we attach our joy and our happiness to the accumulation of stuff, then inevitably our lives are going to be led into some kind of, of evils in our life, like greed, like envy, like the, the, the thirst for power that will give us more stuff. And so all these kinds of things become a means to an end of getting more money or accumulating more stuff. And 
And so he says, we, we've got to get some perspective on this, that godliness with contentment is of great gain, and the love of money leads to all kinds of evil in our life. Does that make sense? How this message is kind of all tied together. Yes? All right? And I think this is such a, 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 a key um, message for the new year. Now, what Paul then does is he, he gives some perspective. And he reminds people that when you came into this world, you came in with nothing. And when you go out of this world, you'll go out with nothing, right? And if we keep that perspective, it can change a lot of things. How many of you remember uh, the popular shirts in the 90s, the No Fear shirts? Are you fans? Yes, you would get beat up on the playground if you did not have a, a no fear shirt, okay? I mean, they were that popular, and they were everywhere. And you remember that they had all these kind of funny sayings on them. Some of them not, weren't, weren't so funny, but they were supposed to be real in your face and all these kinds of things. You guys know what I'm talking about. There was one that I remember specifically. I did not have to look this up because no fear shirts had such a profound impact on my life, okay? And uh, I was lucky enough to, to own one, and, uh, and I wore it every day. So I wouldn't get beat up, right? And so I wore this no fear shirt, and and I remember one shirt that said, "It said you guys, you guys probably remember this." It said, "He who dies with the most toys still dies." That's pretty negative, isn't it? But then I went to Paul, and I and Paul says, "You didn't come into the world with anything, and you're not taking." Out of the world. You're not taking anything out of the world. He who dies with the most toys still dies. That's some biblical truth on a no fear shirt, right? And so Paul provides this perspective for us. And what I want to do is in light of this, this idea of godliness with contentment is great gain. This idea that the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. And that, we, that, that, that he who dies with the most toys still dies. Here's the perspective that I want to give to you. And I believe this is to some of you, this is the word that God wants to share with you. And I want this to be your, your, your mantra for this year. And it is this. This year... 2011, my joy will not be tied to my finances. This year, my joy will not be tied to my finances. Because in our culture, so oftentimes it is. If I just had that thing, I'd be happy. If, this, if somebody just gave me this, Santa, are you listening? You know, this is what I want. And you better get it to me or my joy will be stolen or I will be robbed of the opportunity for joy. And doing that is a lack of perspective in our lives because godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not against nice stuff. Amy and I enjoy nice things. It's, a, it's, a, it's this, this idea of balance and perspective. What's a need? What's a want? What can I afford and what can I not afford? Um, So for some of you, I believe that the prophetic word that God wants to share with you today is that this year, your joy will not be tied to your finances. Because there is precisely because there is a larger hope than your checkbook. 
There is a more profound hope available to you than the balance at the end of your checkbook or your credit card statement or your debit card statement, right? And this is essentially what Paul goes on to say, right? He says, to those who are rich, that's everybody, at least in this room. To those who are rich in this present age, tell them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but instead to put their hope in God. He says, I I wonder if we could find the perspective in the new year that our joy is not tied to our finances because there's a far more profound and and, and firmer foundation of hope for, for our hope to lie than the balance at the end of our checkbook. There is something far more profound for us than determining our joy based on how much money we have. And so he says, to the rich, to those who are wealthy, and and that's all of us, we're all rich by the world's standards, he says, tell them not to place their hope in their belongings, but rather place their hope in God. I suppose the reason that generosity is so difficult for us is because oftentimes that's where we are placing our hope and our security. I suppose it's so easy to, to, to live with this, this closed grip on our finances, on our time, on all of these aspects of our life. Because as long as I'm holding it, I know that I'll have it tomorrow. And so I place my hope and my security in what I have in my hand. And Paul essentially says we need to live in a way that we are not living with a closed fist, but an open hand, so that our hope does not lie in what's in here, but our hope lies in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Our hope lies in the God who has become human and has died and been resurrected for us. Something very profound and powerful is the message of Paul if we will allow it to take hold in our lives. There's a greater hope available to us. And so then he says, do not have them hope in, their, in the money or their wealth because it is so uncertain. Rather, place their hope in God. And then he says, but in fact, encourage them toward good deeds and encourage them toward generosity. Because God has given them all that he, everything that they have for them to enjoy. In 2011, I wonder if you could make a shift in perspective and begin to understand that all that you have and are blessed with comes from God and is a gift from Him. That job that you'll get, that raise that you'll get, perhaps that bonus that you just got or will get, those are all coming from God. They're all gifts from the God who has already given you so much. All that God does in this church in 2011, all the growth that comes about in this church, to God be the glory. Not me, not Zach or any of our other leaders. The glory belongs all to Jesus Christ. For it is a gift from Him to grow this ministry. It is a gift from Him to give you that job and that raise and that bonus. And He's given it to you and He's entrusted it to you and He's encouraging you. Do not find your hope in that which I have given you. Find your hope in me. Do not find your hope in the gift. Place your hope in the giver who has richly blessed you with everything for your enjoyment. I mean, this is a profound word from Paul. So, then he says, 
he, he says this interesting thing. He says, those who are rich in the current age. Uh, and then he says, by being generous, right, a properly placed hope that leads to generosity. He says, by being generous, you are, in fact, laying up treasures, which is a firm foundation in the coming age. So he uses this language of those who are rich in the present age are laying up a firm foundation for themselves in the coming age. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Well, in the present age is is the age in which we live right now, where we live in this sort of tension between that which is good and godly, the kingdom of God, which is here and it's present. And yet we also see the evils of our world. Right, And so we live in this tension between the kingdom of God that is already here, but it's not yet expressed in all of its fullness because we find uh, this, this sort of evil that's apparent in our world. Right, And so uh, if you want to call this, uh, if you want to nickname this, you can nickname it the already and the not yet. We live in this tension of the present age. But Paul encourages us and we learn from the rest of scripture that there is a coming age where the tension will be over and God's kingdom will come down to earth and be fully established. And and God's kingdom will, in fact, as the Lord's Prayer says, uh, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That makes sense, right? So this is those who are rich in this present age while we struggle with this tension. By being generous in this present age, you are laying up a firm foundation for the coming age. What in the world is he talking about? What he's essentially saying to us here, as he says throughout his letters in the New Testament is that we are to live right now in the present age in anticipation of the age to come. In other words, we should live in accordance with the kingdom of God that is not yet fully established, but live as though it is fully established. We should live in anticipation of the sure sure future that lies ahead. Does that make sense? And what we will do at the end of the, in, in the coming age... At the final age, what we will do is give ourselves fully to God. We will trust fully in Him. There will be no area of our life that is not yet given over to Him. We will bow our entire hearts to Him in all of His glory. And so Paul says, if that's the way life is going to be, we ought to live that way right now. We're rehearsing for our eternity with God in the present age. So live now in anticipation of the sure future that lies ahead. And so he says, those who are rich in the present age, you should practice generosity because in the coming age, honor, praise, trust will all be freely given And freely flowing to him who is worthy. And a great way to practice this this level of trust, this level of fully giving ourselves to God, this level of generosity that we will all experience and live in to in the coming age is by giving regularly. Because a lot of us, we want to be generous, right? And we, we try to be generous in a moment. And we try to be generous uh, in, in, in spurts here and there. Um, but a life of generosity does not come in a moment. The life of generosity comes 
through a steady discipline of giving. Because that steady discipline of, of giving unleashes us towards generosity in our lives. And the biblical standard for generosity and regular generosity is the tithe. Now, I know you're not supposed to talk about tithe at all in church, let alone the first Sunday of the year. And I want to say something right up front. First of all, you guys know that I don't have any trouble talking about the biblical standard of the tithe, but I want you to know my motivations. My motivation is not because I'd like a raise. And my motivation is not primarily because this church needs or even wants your money, although money is necessary for us to operate and continue to grow our ministry. My motivation is that in giving the biblical standard of tithe and that regular discipline of tithe, we become more like him who formed us and has given so much to us already. He gave his son and he gives freely of all the blessings that we have in this life for us to enjoy. In other words, God is a giver. And if we don't begin to, to give according to the biblical standard, then we are robbing ourselves of the opportunity to participate in the work of the kingdom of God. And we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity to be more formed, formed more fully into his likeness. Now, that doesn't mean you can't give a little bit of offering here and there to other organizations. I'm not talking about that. In fact, we're going to talk about offering next week. So you have something to look forward to, right? Um, but today I want to talk about a little bit about this, this tithe. Now, um, the argument has been made uh, 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 um, in regards or in relation to the tithe that this is a, an Old Testament principle that does not carry over to the New Testament. And... Um, I feel like that's a fairly compelling uh, argument, and I feel like there's a compelling view, um, because the tithe in Jesus, uh, you know, he doesn't mention it really hardly at all uh, in the New Testament. And, and so we kind of have this, this thing about, well, what carries over from the Old Testament and what doesn't? Uh, and, and so we have this, this law. Actually, the, we, we oftentimes connect the tithe to the law, but the, the tithe actually predates the law. Uh, the first tithe that we see is in Genesis. Uh, it's not once the law has been established. So the tithe predates the law. It's then established in the law. And what we find instead of the New Testament is not live according to the letter of the law of giving a tenth. What we find in the New Testament is that Jesus calls us to a radical generosity. In which 10% is, is like the starting point of generosity in our lives. Right? Uh, we have the widow who gave all that she had to the, to the offering and to the cause of the kingdom. So what we find, we don't find the tithe in the New Testament, not because the giving isn't important, but because Jesus is calling us to a much higher level of generosity in our life if we have been blessed as many of us have been blessed. And so what I would argue is that if, if, we, come to the, if we come to this idea of generosity and giving in our life, and, we, and the question becomes, how much does the law require for me to give? I believe we're asking the wrong question because love will always take you further than the law ever did. And so if we just say, well, here I've got this little bit of income, how much does the law require that I give? I would encourage you to say, in light of all the blessings of God in my life, how much am I then compelled to give? 
And if you don't feel compelled to give anything, give the tithe and live according to the law. Because that's what God has commanded. Now, I know this is tough, but here's why I talk about this. It's because the habit of generosity in our lives will never be unleashed if we don't practice a regular giving through the tithe. I believe that so fully in my heart. That if we just decide to give here and there, uh, a little bit to this uh, church and this ministry and that ministry and, and that kind of thing, I, I, I just believe that, that God unleashes a heart of generosity when we are regularly, once a month, once a week, giving the tithe to the work of the kingdom. And it's not in lieu of or instead of those other gifts, but that's the, the regular discipline of allowing God to form our heart more and more towards generosity and towards him. Does that make sense? So as soon as uh, Jaden gets old enough in our home, uh, she won't get an allowance she gets a commission. She gets paid for working, uh, doing her chores around the house. She gets paid. And we're going to have a jar, three jars. One is for saving, one is for spending, and one is for tithing. And she will learn at the earliest ages that regardless of what income I get, we, 10% goes to, the, to God. 10% goes to the work of the kingdom and the cause of Christ. And so if you're, if you're not sure where to start, Get yourself three jars <laughs> and look at your paycheck and say, all right, I've got this much. I'm going to put 10% into tithe. I'm going to put 10% into savings and I'm going to spend the rest. And I believe God will bless you for that. Because this idea of generosity is not tied to our income, Right? You can live a generous life, even though you may not make a lot of money. And a lot of times when, when, we're, when we're struggling financially, we say, I'm going to leave it to, to other folks to be generous. But I believe that God calls all of us to this level of generosity in our lives. Because why? Because our hope doesn't lie in this. Our hope lies in the God who is more, more than uh, sufficient to meet my need. And so I believe that as we practice this regular giving, it's going to unleash all kinds of generosity in our lives. Now, um, we take this so seriously at this church, and I take this so seriously. I, I see the, the habit of tithe as kind of a, a spiritual thermometer. Uh, that if we're not trusting God with a 10% or more of our regular income to the local church that, that we are involved in and we're plugged in at and we're serving at and we're being fed from and all those things, I see that as a spiritual thermometer. And, and so anyone that's in leadership in this church uh, just has to tithe. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a non-negotiable issue for me um, because I, I really feel so strongly about this. And Scripture talks all the time about generosity. And so the tithe is a great place to start. But what we want to see in the leaders of this church is a generosity. And so Amy and I, we tithe here, and then we give elsewhere. It's not one or the other. It's always both. And if we can't do both, we always start with the local church. 
and we tithe. Um, and I say that not to, to feel like, you know, we're better than that or anything or we're holier than thou. We just, I share that to say that over the course of years, we have learned to practice uh, this habit of generosity. And God has richly blessed us and taken care of us for his glory. And then what Paul says is that if we do this, if we live this kind of generous lifestyle, then we will, it will lead to the life that is truly life, right? I mean, when we give, we, we know it's just coming out of the Christmas season that it is, it is so rich to give to others. And so what, what, what Paul says is that if they will stop exploiting the gospel for their own financial gain and instead flip that 180 degrees and realize that the love of money leads to all kinds of, the, uh, of evil and instead move towards this, this habit of generosity in their lives, it will lead to this richness and this abundance of life so that they will live into life that is truly life. I mean, it's powerful stuff. The result on the backside is is so phenomenal to know that I am investing regularly in the kingdom of God and the work and the cause of Christ. And so that's what what Paul says. Now, I want to also point out that this is, again, not uh, only related to our finances. Some of you want to be more generous with your time and you want to serve. And so you you will uh, determine in your heart that I want to be a servant. And yet you don't have this regular habit of serving. And so if it's on your goal list and one of your resolutions is you want to be a person that serves more and loves more, it would be my uh, suggestion to you to find a regular place to begin to give of your time and of yourself and allow that regular discipline to unleash the servant hearts, the servant's heart that you desire and that you believe God desires for you. Um, so it's not just related to our money or our finances. And the result is the life that is truly life. This generosity unleashed in our lives. Um, I know that some of you here this morning um, have been following Jesus for a very long time. And uh, I believe there's, there's two main points from this message that I want to nail home for you today. The first is that before we ever are able to tithe and to give on a regular basis and give above tithe and unleash this generosity in our lives, we have to get a grip on this idea that our joy is not tied to our bank account. My joy will not be dictated by the budget. And if that's all you take from today's message, then that's okay. Because I believe that's the, that's the groundwork, that's the foundation before we can ever move forward with, with this generosity that God wants to unleash in our lives. We've got to get a handle on that, that we have placed our hope in something far bigger and far more profound than the ending balance on our bank account. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I would encourage you and move you toward this regular habit of giving a tithe. You say, I only work 10 hours a week. That's fine. What do you make in that 10 hours a week? And start giving 10% of it away. Um, you don't have to be 
uh, an adult or established in a career or any of those things to begin this habit. In fact, if you don't begin it now, it will be harder once you're in a career and you start seeing those little bigger paychecks. It will be much, much harder for you to establish that habit of giving. And so regardless of what stage of life you're in, I would, I would call you towards this habit of generosity. That's for you who are uh, professing Christians and following Jesus. I also recognize this morning that some of you may just be exploring faith, and, and you may say, well, what in the world am I going to take away from this message? I would just want to nail home uh, this, this truth um, for you today, um, that there is this present age that we struggle with, that we live in this tension of the kingdom of God, and yet we also see the evil in the world. And I would want to say to you today, if you, have, or if you do not follow Jesus and you are not a Christian today, that there is indeed a different way of life available to you. It's the way of Jesus, and it's the life inside the kingdom of God. It's where our hope lies in something far more profound than that which, our, uh, that which we possess. It's where hope... Um, it comes up and abounds in, in unlikely and impossible circumstances. It's where forgiveness comes to us from the God who loves us and has created us and then, and then empowers us and enables us to forgive those who have, who have offended us. It is truly a, another way of life that's available to you if you will begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you towards that this morning. And so I want to, to end our, our message today, not only with prayer, but uh, just again, letting us know that our joy is not determined by our budget. Our joy is not determined by our budget. We're going to respond to God together after I pray. and uh, The elements of communion are available. If you'd like to respond in that way, you're welcome to do so. For This is the body of Christ that has been broken for you and the blood of Christ that has been shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. We're also going to receive our tithe and our offering. And this is your chance to begin walking in obedience uh, to what God is calling you to do. Um, And we encourage you to do that. And uh, where the the musicians will come up and and play a song, we uh, just encourage you to sing along. You're welcome to sit or stand, whichever you'd like, as we respond to God together. Uh, But I just want to allow us time to respond to what God is doing in our lives rather than rush away to the busyness of our schedules in our lives. So let's, uh, let's pray together and respond to God. God, we are um, we're thankful for the new year and the uh, anticipation that it brings. And um, God, I, just, I pray um, a blessing on each one here this morning that this year... Uh, would be the year that uh, your grace is so real that you uh, just pour out your blessing on their life. Many are, are bringing struggles and challenges from last year into this year, and, and they're, they're seeing little hope uh, for their situation to change. And so, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself and that you would show yourself to be phenomenally good and powerful in their life and present. And God, I pray that um, as your scripture outlines and talks so much about this idea of of giving, um, that the the church, that your body is to be a people given away, whether we're giving away our time and service or our abilities that you've given to us to to the world and to the, the kingdom of God.
or whether, Lord, we're giving of the, the resources, the financial resources that you have so blessed us with. I pray, God, that we would be a people that unleash generosity in our lives um, and that you would form in us this servant's heart, this giving heart. For, Lord, when we have a giving heart, we are closer to, your, to, to more accurately reflecting your image in us. For you are a giver. Thank you, God, for all that you've given us, all that you've given this church. And thank you, God, for giving your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to introduce us to the kingdom of God and the reality of another way of life. And for not only dying, Lord, but for being raised from the dead that we may have life. As Paul says, I pray that we would live the life that is truly life in 2011. So God be with us as we respond and as we reflect together. Uh, Would we have the courage to respond in obedience, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.